Let's uh, let's pray as we uh, continue. Father in heaven, we thank you for the work that you're doing across the seas, overseas, as people have gone to different places with the gospel and with your word. We thank you for what you're doing in our midst, and what you're doing in our community as well. We pray for Daniel and Joseph as they embark on this next phase for Daniel and a continuation of, of another for Joseph and for all who have started school in different capacities. We ask that your blessing be over them. And as many go back to school tomorrow, we ask your grace go before them and your presence be real. And to be with me now, my gracious master and my God, assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the earth abroad the honors of your name. Would you receive glory? Would we receive comfort, encouragement, challenge? And then may we take that into a world that needs to know this message of hope. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a, a, a week of celebration for us as a, as a church. Um, yesterday, we uh, celebrated in, up in Virginia the wedding of uh, Hong and, and Stephanie Shin, uh, the beautiful, beautiful, holiest of matrimonies, uh, beautiful time uh, up there. Um, and Friday, Friday, uh, 4 a.m., Lila Garrity, I'm just kidding, Lila Gomez, uh, not from Friday Night Lights, even though she was born Friday morning, Lila Gomez was born to... Uh, Carlos and Sungun, and we celebrated that. And these are very public things. These are celebrations that we celebrate, we honor. Uh, we're part of all this together. Um, and that's one end of the spectrum of life. On the other end of the spectrum, there are things that uh, we don't often announce. We don't often applaud. We don't often talk about together here. There are things in life that happen that we don't congratulate and we don't blast, uh, put on blast. There are things that may not be public. They may be more personal. They may be more private. They may not be celebrations, they may be seasons of mourning, right? Seasons like that happen for all of us. And maybe, as I mentioned last week, uh, some people say that every person who comes into worship on Sunday morning carries a bag of tears with them, and maybe that's where you are today. This is definitely the case for family members of Michael Brown, isn't it? It's definitely the case for people in Iraq who have lost life or who have lost family members. This is the reality of life. All of us at one point or another will go through seasons and maybe prolonged seasons where we wonder where God is and will I be able to make it another day and will I be able to live to tell this story again. There are situations in life that you've probably been through already that you look back on and in the midst of those times you wonder how in the world am I going to get through and you've got through. Somehow, uh, somehow you made it through. But if that's you right now, today, or if that's you at any point in your future, then what I share today has extreme importance to us. It's the case for all who struggle. Maybe you're a a sixth grader and you've come into harvest and you're scared to death because there was someone back in the day who used to pick on you and they're here. And you're like, oh my gosh, I don't think I want to go to church today. Or maybe you don't want to go to school tomorrow for those of you going to starting up at Orange County because... The guy who was so mean to you and would steal your lunch money every day said, I'll see you when you get back. And he flunked eighth grade and he's there again and he's waiting for you. Or maybe you're afraid to go back to school because it's your senior year of high school and you have no idea how your future is going to look because your board scores, your test scores haven't been too hot and the GPA you thought you were going to have at the end of your junior year is a whole point higher than what it really is. Maybe you're about to graduate college, you're entering your last semester, you're going to graduate in December, and you're scared to death because there's been no internships, no job opportunities, every door you've knocked on has been a closed door. Maybe you're here and you've got a kid who's gone wayward, or a spouse who's wandering, or you just feel the heaviness and the weightiness of uncertainty, of fear, of turmoil, of chaos all around you, and you're wondering, how am I going to make it through this next thing? Maybe you just got married, and you're entering life in a new city, and you have no idea what's going to look, what that's going to look like, and you're worried and you're scared. Wherever you find yourself, wherever you find yourself today, if there's ever turmoil or confusion or uncertainty in your life, then the shepherd psalm Psalm 23 
can provide much hope and encouragement and strength to you as it has for countless people through the ages, people as they stood before the casket of a loved one who went before their time. It was Psalm 23 that gave hope to them, to the one who lost their job and in the midst of economic instability and uncertainty, they clung to nothing but the word of God and this was the only thing that could give them hope, Psalm 23. This is a psalm for the ages, but oftentimes familiarity with something so powerful can lead to a watering down of its power. So I want to look again at Psalm 23 with fresh eyes in order that we might understand it's important in its power and why for generations it has provided stability and strength to countless pilgrims along the way. Psalm 23, I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. David wrote it, and this is God's word. The Lord, my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is God's word. So David's writing this, and Second Samuel tells us a little bit of the context behind it. So David had a bunch of sons, and he was a bad dad. He was a pretty good king, uh, had his uh, share of mistakes, but his failures in the home led to failures in the homes of his children. And so he's got this son who's chasing after him. Right? His son wanted his throne, and so he took it from David, and then he's chasing him. He's in, uh, his, his son has not only uh, run far away, rebelled against God, but he's rebelled against his own dad, David. And so David is running away from his son because his son wants to kill him. Now, can you imagine that being a dad and the child that you helped give birth to and you raised <clears throat> not only hates you, but he wants to kill you? And so David's on the run. And he's running away and he's hiding out in the wilderness where he's been camped out for months. And he's asking God, where are you in the midst of this? And as he looks up into the sky in the midst of the wilderness, his mind is taken back to the time when he would spend all of these hours in the wilderness tending sheep. And as he thinks about the personal care that a shepherd has for his own sheep, he writes this psalm to talk about God's personal care for us. What does this mean? Three things that I'm going to pull out from here, and there are many things that you could think of. But the first thing that I want to say is this. God wants a relationship with us that is deeply personal. Uh, this is, for those of you who are new, we have an outline in your bulletin. If, if it helps you to remember by writing these things down, you can. You don't have to. You can just listen. We put these up on, online. You can listen to it later if you so desire. But the first thing we see here is that God wants a relationship with us that is deeply personal. In uh, John chapter 10, Jesus says that a shepherd knows his sheep by name, right? Not just a number, right? But his name. He knows the name of the sheep, right? He's personal with the sheep. We all know that God knows our name and all that stuff. That's cool. But the interesting thing, okay, the interesting thing is that every person, right, every person has a name. Actually, mo the great majority of people have a name. We met someone in Ecuador who didn't have a name. It was strange. She was like a three-month-old girl, and we asked what the name was, and the mom said she doesn't have a name, <laughs> so we're trying to give her a name. But, but for the great majority of people besides her, everyone else has a name. Some people have a formal name, and some people have a more kind of personal name. Right? So if I go to some place and nobody knows me and they're introducing me as a church or something, they might say, this is Reverend David Kim. But outside of that formal context, people might just say, hey, D.L., what's going on? Hey, David, what's going on? That's what my wife says, right? Hey, you know, this is the personal name. If you have a relationship with me, that's what people call me, right? No one who's friends with me comes up to me and says, hi, Reverend David Kim. And no, we don't say that, right? Because there's a formal name and there's a personal name. Just like when you guys go back to school, your teachers go by a formal name. I had a teacher in kindergarten and in kinder care. Her name was Mrs. Stanhope. That's who she was. 
I was, I was shocked one day when I saw after school, I was leaving, and, and this other teacher and her were talking, and the other teacher said to her, hey, Barb, how's it going? And I said, who's Barb? That's so weird. Because me, as a little child, only knew Mrs. Stanhope by her formal name. But once you know their personal name and you can use that personal name, everything changes. Let me give an example to help explain this a little bit more. So you win a trip to the White House. And so here your, your sixth grade class is going to the White House and you meet the president of the United States of America. This is amazing. Great stuff, right? So you go to the White House and you see the president and you're the first one in line. And he says to you, hi, what's your name? And you say, my name is James. And he's like, president. And so James is like, ah. Uh, I really like your house. It's like so, it's like so white. <laughs> and the president is like, yeah, thank you. I hope to be here for at least a couple more years. And James says, I always wanted to know, like, what do you, what do, you do every day? And so the president of the United States in his formal address says, I am the commander in chief. I'm the head of state, chief of staff of the United States of America. My work is to ensure domestic tranquility, provide for, promote the general welfare, provide for all of these things. And to ensure the blessings of liberty for ourselves and our posterity. And so James looks back and says, I don't know what you're talking about, but thanks for saying that. And then he walks out. And as James is walking out, this man walks in. And the guy walks in. He's like, yo, Barack, what's up? And he gives him dap. He gives him a bro hug, right? And the guy sits in and, and Barack is like, my man, you haven't changed. And the guy looks at him and he's like, Barack, you look the same too. And he's like, they're so happy and they're telling stories. And, and the guy's like, dude, what do you do all day? And Barack looks at him and he's like, yo, yo, I borrowed this rap from my former president, Ronnie. Let me tell you what I do every day. I wake up in the morning, grab a piece of toast. Michelle and I take a drive up the coast, sign a bill and take a nap. This is what I call my presidential rap. <laughs> and he's like, oh, dude, you haven't changed. You still got it. And they're like going crazy. And what's the difference between James's conversation with the president of the United States of America and this guy's relationship with Barack? And there's a personal relationship that they've got. What in the world are you talking about? Here's what I'm talking about. Verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. When David says the Lord is my shepherd, if you look in your Bible, the word Lord will be in all capital letters. This is the personal name of God. I translated, it would be Jehovah, it would be Yahweh. This is the name that only people in relationship with God call him. Everyone else, all the other nations of the world call him God. They call him Almighty King. They call him the maker of heaven and of earth. But only those in covenant relationship with God call him Lord. And David is saying, I've got a relationship with God, where I don't need to call him by his formal name. I'm in relationship with him to the degree that I call him Jehovah. He is my personal shepherd. And he's saying, God wants to be that personal with you. Just as if Barack would not say to James, but he would say to his homie, hey, you want to go on Air Force One with me? I'll take you anytime you want. You ask whatever you want, ask, and I'll give it to you. That's what God is saying. God wants to be in a relationship with you. Okay? God wants to be in a relationship with you where he hears from you, where you can talk to him, where he says, whatever you want. And are you okay to talk about these things with me? Don't, it doesn't have to be so formal all the time where I'm this high and mighty. I want to be personal with you. That's what God is saying. Do you have a relationship with God that's personal? Like, do you know God in that way? When I uh, come home from my day in the evening and I open the door, my kids who can walk will come running to me. So first Manny comes running and she comes and she says, Appa, which means daddy in Korean. She says, Appa. And she hugs my leg and she's like giggling with glee. And then like because his legs are shorter, a little pitter-patter, Elijah comes in like, Appa, and he hugs my leg, does the exact same thing that Manny does. And Manny's like, Daddy, do you want me to tell you what I did today? Like, yeah, I want you to tell me. 
See, she's like, today I went to school and Mrs. Violetta, was her old teacher, she told, said this and this and this. And then for mommy and uh, for Manny and Mama, Manny and mommy time, she has this like special time each day. For Manny and Mama time, we painted today and I painted a butterfly and I wore the smock that you gave me. And mommy says that um, I ran out of paint. So daddy, can you go to Publix and buy some paint for me? And I'm like, of course I can do that. She's like, you know what we're going to do tonight for dinner? And she's saying all this stuff and Elijah's trying to get his words in. And, and Manny's like, and then uh, Daniel uh, Opa, which is like one of her, her uh, older, one of our college or single guys daniel up i came and he played with me and and elijah's trying to get a word so he's like d2 d2 basically means like any anybody named daniel he calls them d2 so he's like d2 d2 and he's trying to get his his words in and and i love that time of day where i get to spend time with my kids and for two days i was up in virginia uh, for hong and stephanie's wedding hanging out with these guys <laughs> And as fun as it was, I missed talking to my kids right? so much that I would just sit there and I would stare at pictures of them and play videos and in a corner by myself just laugh to myself and imagine them talking to me. If I, as an imperfect, sinful, earthly father, cannot be away from my kids for two days... How much more our Father in heaven when we don't spend time with him except in the communal gathering once a week? You are on God's cell phone if he had one. He doesn't need one, so he doesn't have one. So he just looks at you from heaven above and he says, that's my kid. And oh, I long for them to just look up at me and talk to me. Because he wants a relationship with you and me that is deeply personal. And so you see in verses 1 through 3, David saying things like, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides, he restores, he guides me. And then it says in verse 4, I will fear no evil for you are with me. David's saying, I'm writing this for the sake of people who need to know, but the reality is that I have experienced him on a me and you level. It's not just, he doesn't say, uh, for your rod and your staff are with us. Your rod and their staff, they comfort us. It says they comfort me because David knew God in a personal and an intimate way. Do you know him in that way? Where you can say that I have experienced God in my life. Like I know him in my life. Not just I, I know about him. I know that he is a shepherd. I know that he takes care of people. I know that he can do these things. But do you know that in your heart? Do you know that in your like in your own heart of hearts. Someone, uh, I was talking with someone last week They're in my office and they said, hey, have you experienced miracles in your life? And, and I said, yeah, I hear the, uh, these are some of the miracles I've experienced. And I just started talking about the answered prayers. And then I said, listen, if you haven't experienced miracles or answered prayers in your life, then you're not going to go very long in the Christian life. Because a relationship with God is personal, and a personal God interacts with us on a personal level. I say this all the time, but David's song was his song. It wasn't someone else's song. He wasn't singing the experiences and the testimonies of all these other people. He's saying, this happened to me. Like, I've know, I know this. I've experienced. He is my shepherd. Not just my friend shepherd, not just my cousin shepherd, not just my dad shepherd, not just my mom shepherd, not my teacher shepherd, but he's my shepherd. Do you know him in that way? Right? In that way where you know him in a personal way. Because that's what he wants. Not just for you to be able to kick everyone's uh, butt in the fifth grade kingdom keepers Bible competition. That's important, and that's good that we know these things, but the knowledge of must always lead to a knowledge. Knowing about must always lead to a knowing of a person, right? To know Jesus, right? to know him in a personal way. That's what God wants. This is the first thing. Second thing, second thing that, he wants, that we see is that God alone can meet our deepest needs. God alone can meet our deepest needs. What does that mean? Again, this imagery of, of shepherd and sheep. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. It, if, if the Lord is a shepherd, then by analogy, we are the sheep. Now, most of us don't know a whole lot about sheep. Um, so I'll tell you four things I know about sheep. Okay, sheep 
are kind of like the bottom of the totem pole in the animal kingdom. Right? They're not very good at many things. Uh, first thing they're not good at, they stink with directions. If there was ever an animal that needed GPS, it's a sheep. Right? Sheep are one of the few animals in nature that can get lost within a short radius of their home. Right? They're not like dogs, right? Dogs, oftentimes you, get, you hear about a dog getting, oh my gosh, this flood took this dog away. And then years later, he like walked back to his house because he knew where it was. Or this, this dog, the movie Hachi, who would always go to this one subway station and wait for his owner to come back long after his owner had passed away. Right? So these kinds of animals have this homing device where they know where they need to go. Sheep aren't like that. They're always getting confused. They're always going in the wrong way. This is why Isaiah says we all like sheep have gone astray. And a lot of times they wander around in circles. And then when they get lost, they just say, bah, bah. And they walk around in circles. There's no hope for them. What do they need? They need a shepherd who's going to guide them so that they don't get lost. Because they stink with directions. Pretty simple. Second thing they stink at, they stink at fighting. Have you ever seen the YouTube video of, of two sheep fighting with each other? Yeah, because, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because sheep don't fight. You know, every other animal, they can fight. And even if it's not fighting, they can, like, disguise themselves. They can change colors. They can hide very well. They've got claws. They've got fangs. They've got teeth. They've got something but sheep don't have any of that stuff. So when push comes to shove, the only thing they can do is they can run away. That's all they do. But a lot of times they don't know how, where they're going. And so they get themselves into trouble. They get themselves into danger. And so when wolves attack them, they're goners. What do they need? They need a shepherd who has a rod, right, which functions like a club, so that when an animal comes to attack them, the shepherd would hit the animal away so that it flees. When an animal gets trapped in a thicket or when an animal is in the claws and the clutches of another animal, when the sheep is in the clutches of another animal, they need a shepherd's staff, which is like a walking stick with a crook on it, to pull him out of danger. Because sheep are terrible at fighting. Sheep are also pretty stinky at eating also. The problem is, like, they're always hungry, but like American people, they don't eat healthy. So they don't care what they eat. There's no, there's no thinking to what they're eating. They just start eating whatever they can because they're constantly hungry. And a lot of times, they'll eat poisonous weeds. They can't tell the difference between weeds that will kill and weeds that will give life to them. And so because they're constantly eating all of these different kinds of food, they will often eat themselves to death. And what does a shepherd need? They need a, what does a sheep need? They need a shepherd who will lead them to the right pastures where they can eat and be sustained. The fourth thing that they stink at, the fourth thing, there's a lot of things that they probably stink at, but the fourth thing that they stink at is they stink at drinking water too. So not only are sheep at the bottom of the totem pole in the animal uh, in the animals, uh, whatever, totem pole. But they're also kind of divas of animal life also because they can't drink just any kind of water. You heard stories like that. Like, I forget which, uh, which famous singer needs to only eat, like, certain colored M&Ms, but sheep are like that. Right? So someone will say, here, sheep, drink this cup of water. You're like, I can't drink that. Why not? Well, it's too cold. Here, drink this cup of water. Oh, I can't drink that. It's, it's too hot. And here, drink this, drink this water. I can't drink that. It's, it's flowing too quickly. And so sheep are scared of flowing water like this, right? This is very bad for them. So what do they do? They're so thirsty that they sit on the banks of the river and they watch the water go by, but they don't drink it because they're scared to get too close. So what does a sheep need? They need a shepherd who will do one of two things for them. They need a shepherd who will create a dam so that the water will be still so that they can drink from it or they need the shepherd who knows the terrain to lead them to the watering hole where the water is still so that the sheep can get the very thing 
that he needs. Shepherds are crucial, are absolutely vital to the life of a sheep. They stink. (laughs) They stink at directions. They stink at fighting. They stink at eating. They stink at drinking. Basically, sheep stink at life. The only way that they'll survive is if they have a shepherd to provide these things for them. And so David, thinking about his life, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David is saying, whatever I need as a sheep, as long as God is my shepherd, then there's nothing that I'll be lacking in this life. On the other hand, if there's something in your life that you're lacking, I'm lacking peace, I'm lacking hope, I'm lacking rest in my life, then the explanation of Psalm 23 is that there's something else that is shepherding our life. It's something else that has become our functional savior to be what we're looking for to satisfy the needs and the desires of our heart. He's saying, if I have the Lord as my shepherd, then there's nothing that I want, that I'm lacking, that I'm in need of. If I have him in my life, then all that I could ever need, all that I could ever want in this life is provided for. Is that your testimony? That God is my shepherd. He's walking with me. He's guiding me. There's nothing that I need. Everything that I need, I've got because I've got him. So on Friday night, night before um, Hong and Stephanie got married, we were just hanging out. What does a bachelor do the night before his wedding? Last night of singlehood, Virginia Beach. You go to a club. They go to the beach. Does he hang out? What does he do? Does he play basketball? He said, uh, I want to worship the Lord together. I want to pray together. And all week, that's what they've been doing at night and in the morning, either night or morning. Pray for me. Pray for my wife. Pray for Stephanie. Pray for our life together. That Friday night before we got married, we're in our hotel room and just worshiping and seeking the Lord. And uh, one, of our, one of our boys, Daniel, Uh, Daniel Kwok um, was sharing the word. He shared this story about this lady. um, The story about this lady who um, kind of was a church-going person uh, but never really had a relationship with Jesus. You know, people like that. There's a lot of them like that. They come to church but can't really say the Lord is my shepherd. My shepherd. The Lord is their shepherd but she was kind of like that and then she got stricken with cancer. Uh, I think it was brain cancer. Before long, she died. And her Bible study leader was telling the story about how they were in Bible study. And they said, this lady who had cancer went to this Bible study. And they asked her, what do you want to study? It's going to be the le- probably, you know, it's terminal. You're going to pass away. What do you want to study? I said, I want to study the book of Acts to see what God does in order to get the gospel out there. And as they're reading, I think it was Acts chapter 10, they read the story of Cornelius, a Roman centurion. He gave his life to the Lord. And she was marveling. And she said, look at what God did. All the things God did in order to get the gospel, to get Jesus into Cornelius' life. And then she started talking. And she said, with no sense of bitterness, she said, for me, it took cancer for me to find Jesus. And now that I have Jesus, that there are no regrets, 
that it took cancer because if that's what it took for me to get him, then I would gladly do that over and over and over. Because she had the only thing in life that she needed. She said, if the Lord is my shepherd, even though my body is withering away with cancer. They said she was young, she was beautiful, but tumors in her brain crippled her motor senses. She was stricken to a wheelchair. She aged overnight. Wrinkles and all of these things. Sapping the youthful look, but her spirit was more alive than ever. She said, if it took cancer for me to find Jesus... And if that's what it took, then I praise God because I've got the only thing that I need in this life. What would it take for you to get to that place where Jesus is the only thing that I need? The only thing that I need, even if it means, yeah, God, give me cancer in order for me to find Jesus. Would that be worth it for you? be worth it if that's what it takes for us to have a personal relationship with Jesus. That I've got him. That's all I need. That's all I need. The last thing that we see in verses 5 and 6 is that God loves to go above and beyond in order to bless us. Starting in verse 5, so the imagery shifts in verse 5. Shifts from being a shepherd to being the host of a banquet. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And so he's inviting him to a banqueting table, to a feasting table. The reason why he says, I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, and there's a light that's coming for the heart that holds on. If he holds on, then he's going to get to this banqueting table. He's going to get to this feast. Why? Sometimes you wonder, why is God taking me through the valley of the shadow of death? In those times, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense why, as the sheep leaves its pasture, leaves its still water, and is going through a valley, where as nightfall comes and trees are there and the shadows lurk, and it just feels like all all of these marauders and pursuers are coming after the sheep. Why would I be led into the valley of dark shadows? It's saying it's not because the sheep has wandered astray, because a shepherd is right with the sheep. In fact, it's leading the sheep through this valley. Why does the sheep have to go through the valley? It's the same reason that the chicken had to cross the road, because he was getting to a better place. And the shepherd was leading the sheep from one place to the place where he needed to go. And as he gets him through that valley, there's there's a banqueting table. There's a feasting table. He's saying, whether you're feasting with God or you're in the valley of death, dark shadow, the presence of God is with you as a shepherd. In fact, if you read it poetically, the first word in Hebrew, in Hebrew poetry is the word Lord, right? The Lord is my shepherd. The last word of Psalm 23 is Lord. Eternally I will dwell in the house of the Lord. The first word is Lord. The last word is Lord. It's the same word, the personal name of God. He's saying from beginning to end, the Lord God is a protector over you, that he will cover you, he will watch over you, that wherever you go, if you are his, you will never be outside of the protective care of the Lord of lords and the King of kings. Wherever you go. And so as he's walking through that valley, he gets to the table and it says, you anoint my head with oil, right? To refresh and to cleanse. This is what hosts do, servants do to guests. It says, my cup overflows, right? As he's eating, isn't that one of the worst feelings to be at a restaurant and you're eating this really spicy meal or you're eating this really dry burger or something like that. And, and every time you look at your cup to grab a drink of whatever's in there, all you've got is ice, And you're waiting and waiting and waiting for the waiter to come back and to pour your drink. He's saying, as I sit down to feast, first of all, it's not potluck. I didn't have to bring there. He just says, come and sit. And you've got everything that you could ever want. He says, my cup is always overflowing. That God is constantly refilling me. It's a picture of the abundance that God wants to. God doesn't measure out his blessings in some little 
like little cup and say, oh, okay, you know what? Now, here, Paul, here, here. And then here, Albert, I've only got a little bit. He pours in abundance. Right? This is a God when it talks about a love that goes beyond comprehension. A joy that is unspeakable. I can't even talk about the kind of joy. A peace that passes understanding. A mercy as endless as the sea. A grace that is amazing. This is how God works. He's overflowing. In a, there's a crowd of people and they're hungry. Well, go ahead and feed them. Well, how much should I give? Just give them as much as they can eat and there'll be 12 baskets left over. Just give them whatever they want. Open wide your mouth and I'll fill it so that there's so much more that you don't know what to do with it. This, wa- this wedding, they've run out of wine. Go ahead and bring these six 20, 30-gallon jars and, and just go ahead and fill them up. Well, the world, the way the world, they, they give the best stuff first and it gets worse and worse. No, no, no. Bring the best out later because it only gets better and better and better. This is the way that God works. Hey, God is not a Scrooge in trying to bless you. Do you know whatever you bring before God, whatever you bring before God, you bring a little cup, a cap like this, God is going to fill it. If that's all you want from God, that's all he's going to give you. But you bring a bottle like this, he's going to fill that. You bring a bucket, he's going to fill that. You bring a barrel, he's going to fill it. Whatever you come to God with, he's not doling out and measuring out this little tea, tea dropper, this little medicine dropper. Oh, only that much. He wants to give it up. It's Niagara Falls pouring out into your life of blessings. That's what he wants to give to you. Uh, you think you've had the blessing of God? He's only just begun. You have no idea. He's only just begun. He's only just begun. Keep on going. Keep on seeking. Keep on wanting. Keep on longing. Keep on thirsting for more of God. Whatever you come to him with, he's going to fill that in abundance. He's not a Scrooge God. He is lavish. He is prodigal. They talk about the prodigal son the way Keller says it's a prodigal God. Prodigal doesn't mean wayward. It means wasteful. God wastes his love on people like us. Just throws it out. Right? Throws it out. Making it rain, not ones, not twos, not tens, but thousands. Just throwing it out there for you to drink of. God is a God of abundance. And when you think you've had enough, when you think God cannot give us any more, it says, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. What does that mean? The word literally means, it means surely goodness and love will, will pursue me. Have you ever been pursued by someone? Hopefully every woman who's been married has been pursued by your man. What does it mean to be pursued? I think I've mentioned this before, but I was thinking about this this morning, and even if I have, it's, it's worth repeating. So our senior pastor, um, Pastor Inky, kind of a, a suave man, if you know him. You know, he has his way with, with people, and you know, he talks to you for a little bit. You, you usually end up doing what he says. And so before he got married, he had a crush on the lady who is now his wife. And so the way he, he said, David, you want me to tell you how I married my wife? I said, please do. So the way he tells him, the way she tells him, probably be a little bit different. And so he says, she don't like me, but she, he, so I'm going to say it in my, in my voice. Uh, she had this class, right? And he liked her, so he would cut out a class early, and he would walk to her class so that when she walked out, he would be there. The problem was she didn't like him. Isn't that the thing? This is how this is a double standard that we men face. If the guy is good looking and he's cool, then you guys are like, oh, so cute. He waited for her. But if he's not cool, if he's ugly, if he's then you're like, what a stalker. That's terrible. <laughs> so here, Pastor Inky, because he's smooth, he's suave, this is cute, right? So he goes to her classroom and waits for her. She don't think it's cute. She's like, what are you what are you what are you doing? I don't like you. But he would constantly, day after day, I'm here. Like, again, what are you doing here? I told you I don't like you. Constantly he'd go, he'd say, I'm going to carry your books to your next class. I'm going to make myself late for my class because I'm going to pursue you with one singular desire to win her heart. And eventually he did. You ever been pursued like that? What is it that's pursuing you? Listen. God's secret service men are following after you. They're chasing you, and they're going to conquer your heart. Who are they? They're God's goodness and God's love. 
and they're chasing after you. They're pursuing you. They're running after you, and they're never going to let go of you. Listen, some of you, I don't know, I don't know who half of y'all are because we've got a ton of people who are here for the first time. And maybe you're here and you don't usually go to church. And you feel like maybe I need to come back. And could it be that today you're here because God's goodness and love are pursuing you? That they're chasing after you so that your heart would be captivated by God's grace. Maybe you've been here, coming here for a long time, but you don't have this Lord is my shepherd deal. You're like, Lord is his shepherd. Lord is her shepherd. Yep, I see them. Lord is their shepherd, but Lord is not my shepherd. Could it be that God's goodness and love are chasing after you right now and it's cornered you in this place? Would you, would you come to me? Would you surrender to me and let me shepherd you? You've been ravaged by the wolves. You've fallen into ravines. You've gone the wrong way. You've wandered astray. But let me tell you to what degrees I'll go to find you. In the, Old, in the New Testament, the Bible says this is all about Jesus. How far will God go to find you, to pursue you? This is how far he would come from heaven to earth, Jesus came. And he paid the ultimate cost in order that you might be brought to him. He didn't get a little paper cut. He didn't just get a splinter. He didn't just give up his rights. He didn't just lay down his dreams. It says he gave up his life for you and for me because that's what the good shepherd does. No shepherd in their right mind would ever die for a stupid, wandering sheep but in john 10 10 it says i'm the good shepherd i lay down my life in order that the sheep would be brought in and because he did now we can say i will dwell in the house of the lord forever it's just the, the way David writes it, he's saying, not only for all time, but I want to go back to that place because goodness and love are there, because God is there. I want to go back into that. When, when in the Bible does, it, does the terminology of, I have to go to church show up? I have to serve God show up? Never says that. It says, I get to, I want to, I long to go. Rejoice, I rejoice with those who said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Because he says, that's where I want to be. That's where I long to be because that's where I find life. Because there at the cross, life gave himself to death in order that death could be replaced by life in me and in us. And the nail-pierced hands of the good shepherd lay outstretched to us, wandering sheep. Says, would you come back home to the fold of God? Come back home to the only shepherd who can do for you what you so desperately need in your life. Let's pray together. Sometimes I wonder if for as worthless as sheep are outside of forgiving us wool, some people eat sheep. It's a lot more work, a lot more pain to deal with sheep. Why did God make them? Sometimes I wonder if the only reason God made sheep was to give us a picture of how desperately we need God and how lost we are without a shepherd. Maybe some of us in here have been wandering around and we've been looking to other things to be our shepherd. Things that look like a shepherd. Things that promise like a shepherd. But when push come to shove, they did not lay down their lives for you. In fact, in your time of greatest need, that boyfriend, that girlfriend, that spouse, that friend, that addiction abandoned you. And you are more lost than you were when you first went to that pseudo-shepherd. And maybe you're here today by the grace of God and by his infinite love. And he's saying, would you come home to me today? Would you come home 
and get to know the personal guiding hand of a shepherd who loves you like nothing else, who dotes and delights over you, who has you. If he had a cell phone, you would be on it and he would be delighting over you, showing all of your pictures to the heavenly court. Maybe you're a sixth grader. Maybe you're an old timer here at Harvest. Maybe you're a first timer or a third timer here. In a minute or so, I just want to offer an invitation for us. If there's anyone who wants to put their trust in Christ and to say, you know what, I need Jesus to be my shepherd. I want him to lead me and to guide me. The shepherd would always in the Bible die for the people But when Jesus came, he reversed it. The shepherd became the perfect lamb, slaughtered in order that the guilty could go free. As we reflect upon these truths in a minute or so, I'm just going to give an invitation for anyone who says, I'm a wandering sheep and I want to give my life to follow the shepherd. And as I offer that invitation, I'm not going to ask you to stand up or come to the front. I'm just going to ask you from where you are to raise your hand. That's going to be your sign that I surrender and I want to follow the shepherd. So just think about that for a minute. And if you want to pray, that's just praying is just talking to God. Maybe you can pray and say, God, if you're really there, would you make it known in my heart? Would you speak to my heart? So we pray for a minute and reflect and wait in a moment I'm going to give this invitation for others of us if you've already accepted the invitation of Jesus to be your good shepherd maybe you've wandered from the fold of God and he's calling you to come back would you come back to him now that's what repentance is it's about changing your mind and your direction would you come back to the voice of the shepherd as he calls out to you Let's take a minute to reflectively pray. And then in a, in, in a minute, I'm just going to offer an invitation for anyone who wants to follow Jesus today. Let's pray together. You can pray quietly or you can pray out loud. Just talking to God. Let's do that where you are. He wants to be personal with you. He wants to be personal. So use your own words as we pray for just a minute. Let's pray together. recite the words of an old song that I used to sing. One of my friends, when they gave their life to Jesus Christ, this was a song that was sung that caused them to say, I need this Jesus in my life. He said, shepherd of my soul, I give you full control. Wherever you may lead, I will follow. I have made the choice to listen for your voice. Wherever you may lead, I will go, be it in a quiet pasture or by a gentle stream. The shepherd of my soul is by my side. Should I face a mighty mountain or a valley dark and deep, the shepherd of my soul will be my guide. He's by my side. Do you need a shepherd like that in your life who will never leave you, who died for your sins so that you could have a relationship with God, you could dwell in the house of the Lord forever? that's you as we have all of our eyes are closed as we pray to the lord just talking to him if that's you i'm just going to ask you whether you're sixth grade or seventh or older wherever you are whoever you are just quietly between you and the lord and i want to you know i'll have my eyes open so that maybe we can talk later but if that's you just invite you where you are to raise your hand i need jesus to be my shepherd i need jesus to be my shepherd and to walk with me okay thank you there's a Thank you in the back. We see you. There's at least three people in here. What else? I need Jesus to be my shepherd. Okay, 
Thank you in the front and there to you, okay? Praise the Lord, okay? Thank you. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. There's about seven or so people in this place who want to follow the voice of the shepherd and walk with him. I need, yeah, I need Jesus in my life. Follow him. We, for uh, the sake of all who raise their hand, as well as for those, maybe you feel, I don't know this guy up there, so I'm just going to pray this in my heart. That's okay. That's all right. But for all of us, let's, let's confess this simple prayer, whether you pray it out loud or you pray it in your heart. Just repeat this prayer. Just believing this in your heart. So, dear Jesus. I believe that you are the good shepherd who knows your sheep. I believe that you know me. You see me. You know my name. You know my fears. You know my pain. You want to lead me. I confess I've wandered away. I've sinned. And I need a shepherd. I need a savior. I believe you died on the cross for my sins so that I could be yours. So today, I make a choice to follow you, to be shepherded by you, because I know that you're all I need. And in following you, I have everything I need. Be my Savior and be my Lord. I love you, Jesus, because you loved me first. Father, would you seal the work of the gospel in the hearts of those who have confessed you and their need for you? Pray that you would pour your Holy Spirit and your grace upon their confession that you would cause seeds to give life to fruit that will last that today would be a day that these people remember for the rest of their lives and then to know that in knowing you there's not only no greater thing but it only gets sweeter and sweeter as the days go by amaze us Lord as you always do thank you that you're a God of abundance of unending mercy, of deep satisfaction. Thank you, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.